Hey, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by MXR Bass Innovations. MXR has been a leader in guitar effects for over 45 years. MXR Bass Innovations creates bass effects pedals from the ground up, each one specifically designed for bass players by bass players. Not repurposed guitar pedals, but their overdrive, fuzz, EQ, preamp DI, octave, distortion, compressor, or chorus, these tried and true stomp boxes are designed by Dunlop's award-winning team of bassists and engineers. Go to jimdunlop.com and check out MXR Bass Innovations for your bass effects. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. The Bass Freaks podcast is a place to gain some insight and inspiration, as well as learn a little something about some truly amazing bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today our Bass Freaks guest is Nashville Session bassist. Let me say that again. Nashville Session bassist, songwriter, and longtime bassist for platinum-selling country artist Jason Aldean. Tully Kennedy, welcome to the show, dude. Yeah. Thank you, you, man. So good to see you. How's everything going with you? It is great. Everything's great. We um been busy, you know, we you know, March and April have been like the award show season, stuff like that. Um album release recently. So it's been good. It's been a lot of flying back and forth from here to LA and you know Vegas and New York and then then back, you know. So everything's great though. Yeah. Seems like you guys are always busy. We are. And it's <laughs> a you know, and I'm not complaining, especially coming off of uh 2020 you know which right. is you got to sit back and realize all the things that you took for granted every day you know so we don't was, complain about being busy right was there uh was there anything in particular that you sort of learned about yourself on all that time off i know you you do a lot of session stuff and and songwriting yeah. were you able to keep that going throughout the pandemic yeah i did fortunately i did, I, I did a lot of tracks um remotely uh here at home pro tools rig but mainly we did a lot of writing um and that was really interesting to be able to write and not be on the road and really focus on writing and it and and we got a lot of great results from just being able to focus on that every day um versus you know writing for two days and getting on a bus and going on tour and you know coming back and again trying to trying to shift those focuses where it's nice to focus on writing just right and it, it was it was good it was really rewarding yeah was there any tune in particular in particular that you have written recently or or during that time that you really really dig and that you're proud of well we wrote uh during that time we wrote uh if i don't love you which was the jason Aldean and carrie underwood duet awesome so we wrote that um right and smack dab in the middle of the pandemic um and the in the, the current single that we have out now called trouble with the heartbreak uh right before that duet so as as, as much as i miss playing live every day it was nice to pour that that energy into something and not go completely crazy you know? i get that i want to get back to the writing thing in a second but yeah. let's talk a little bit about your history as a musician and as a, a bass player how'd you get your start I started playing bass, you know, about eight years old or so. My, my family and my dad and my uncles were in a band. And so I started playing bass young. Um, I always loved the bass. Uh, I love the bass now like I did when I first picked it up. Um, the way it feels, the way it sounds. I, I just started immediately playing. And then about 12 and 14, I started playing bands. Um, I'm from a really small town in uh 
up near Lake Placid, New York, which is really close to Montreal, Canada. And there's a really great music scene there at that point. Lots of places. I was I was I was playing in bars when I was 14, so I'm not sure how that would go now, you know. But but then it was <laughs> but but then it was uh, it, it was certainly um, it didn't it was amazing. Uh, Were you was, always into the country thing, or was it? No, I mean, I really the stuff I loved the most as a kid was the Police, um, mm. Bob Seger, Tom Petty, and the Heartbreakers. Um, really just yeah, early U2. Like I really got into that. Um, I've really got the police bug. Okay. Synchronicity really dug its teeth into me. Um, songs like King of Pain, stuff like that. You yeah. know? It was really interesting to me. Um, and Bob Seger, like I heard, you know, against the wind and I was hooked, you know, and it was, um, so that, that's what I really was into. Um, and then I discovered, you know, guys like Steve Earle, um who's a country rock guy uh i also liked a lot of like dwight yoakam when i was a kid I just really i found myself liking kind of off the wall stuff like that um but yeah just you know little c you know my family was you know we did we played a lot of rock and roll so it was it was uh you know a lot of bands i was in was cover bands but you know country got really big in the late 80s early 90s really really big so the bands where i was playing in you know we'd play everything from you know mellencamp and petty but then we'd have we play these country cover songs that were hugely popular it was a really it, i mean they were huge songs i remember garth brooks came out i never heard of garth brooks and we were covering this song friends in little places like what is this it was huge you could not play it right so it was interesting getting that yeah that uh exposure there at a young age was there a was there a particular bass player that really just drew you in as a kid you know when you started playing yeah well like i said sting yeah okay really 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 you know uh was a big influence um, do you sing as well what's that do you sing as well yeah i do okay yeah. cool and that was a uh, i learned how to do that kind of from watching that uh, VHS recording they did in, in Georgia, in Atlanta, like in 82, 83. I, learned, I was just watching them like, okay, how does he, how does he change his parts when he's singing, you know, live to make it work? Cause it's always a little different, you know, you kind of make those parts work when you're singing. So yeah, it was, it was great. And of course, McCartney who, you know, I loved and um, this thing was a, it's a big one. And, and Ron Blair, um, petty early penny records i just i love that stuff oh so, yeah well yeah. it sounds like you gravitated to bands of great songwriters more than being inspired by just purely bass players yeah. i was always i always got drawn to the song uh-huh and then i always loved playing the songs um you know i i i really loved and appreciated like like getty lemmer you know getty lee as a kid i remember listening to power windows and being, being blown away by that but i always i always loved that but i really and appreciated it but i was always more into the song even even flea i remember looking at flea when i was a kid saying wow guy can just shred yeah. you know and i love it but i was the stuff i ended up listening to was always more of the song related for me personally um so yeah i guess i kind of fell into that um as a bass player um 
how do you approach songwriting? Do you do it with the bass first or how do you usually write? When I, when I write, I usually have an idea. I have a, a hook, a title. Um, and then we'll, you know, I, I will have some sort of, of bones of a melody to go around it. And then um, me and my buddy, Kurt Allison, who plays in, in uh, Jason's band, we've been together forever. Um, we, we will start to build a track around that thought. Okay. Around the hook. And, you know, hopefully it all starts to come together. More often than not, you write a song that no one's going to hear, but sometimes it works. You know? <laughs> what, what is the ratio? What do you think? Oh, boy, that's a, that's a crazy question. I tell people, uh, someone will say, hey, I've, congratulations, I heard your song on the radio. And I'll, I'll be like, well, that makes up for the other 200 that we wrote, you know, <laughs> that you'll never hear, you know? Yeah. But, but for me, like, I love, like, I love the whole process. Like, I love the whole creative process. It's like producing, like I love watching it from the ground up, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, building it that way. What was the first, so how did you end up in Nashville? It's a funny story. My uncle was a songwriter. He moved here in the mid eighties. Uh, he was a songwriter for Warner Chapel Music. And I was literally <clears throat> gonna go to LA. I was like, I was like, well, I didn't have any money. didn't have, you know, place to stay. I'm like, well, I'm going to go and, and stay with my uncle for a month in Nashville and try to meet some people and, um, and then go to LA. I wanted to be a rock star, rock bands. I wanted to, wanted to do it all. And um, so I got here and the second day I was here, uh, I met Michael Knox, who now is Jason's producer, LDS okay. producer. So I met him in, in 95 and he was uh, a song plugger. And he was working with my uncles, kind of pitching my uncle's songs. And um, he was also producing a lot of young artists here. And he immediately, I, I met him two days, uh, second day I was here. And that next week he was introduced to me to like new artists he was working with. So I got to, I got real, real fortunate and blessed to meet some, some great people right off the bat um, that really helped me you know, and kind of coached me and, you know, took me in the studio when I probably shouldn't have been, you know. <laughs> what uh, was it, so what, what was it that do you think, looking back now, that sort of drew him to you and and um, inspired him to sort of open up his, his doors? Yeah, well, I was really young. I was, you know, I just turned 21. Nashville was way different than um, I had a little bit of, uh, I was more of a rock guy. I wasn't a really country guy. And he had a bunch of young artists that he couldn't find young bass players for at that point. Um, and that, you know, and I was a little different. Um, but he's just, a, he also just wanted to help me out as long as, you know, I, I think, I think he, as long as I could pull my weight, I think he was going to, Michael was going to help me out, you know? And I started to meet people that wanted to help me out. Just very supportive community, as you know, here. Um, I remember meeting guys like Mike Brignadello and Michael Rhodes way early on. I'd go sit in the sessions, you know, I, I'd go kind of get, sneak into a session and watch these guys play in a session and figure out how to read the number system. Because I'm a self-taught player. I, I've never took a lesson. I never, my dad showed me a little bit. My uncle showed me a little bit, but I, you know, I had to figure out how to read the Nashville number system. And I didn't go to school for music. So I sit there and I take the number charts off the stands and I go to go 
you know, I slept on my uncle's floor. So I go to go to with him at night and he'd kind of play through it and I'd figure out what the charts meant and how to do it and kind of just taught myself that way, you know. Can you can you give a for the listeners out there the um, I guess readers digest summary of what the number system it actually so the number, is? Yeah, the number systems is pretty amazing. It's basically in layman's terms, if you take a song and it's songs in G and and say you've uh, you know songs G D and C, well you know songs in G, so that's the one which would be written as a number one, and and C would be the four, so that's as the number four. And D would be the five. So you're looking at one, four, and five. And then an E minor would be a six minor. And those numbers, it you take that and they're you know, you cut that into bar whole bars and split bars and notation um, all over these numbers. And it's when I first started, I was like, wow, you know, it is a way to, you know, doing demos here or on a demo session or any kind of session, you've got you don't have a lot of time. Right. So that number system gives you the skeleton of the song and your freedom to create within that. So it's not like each part, you know, nothing's written out for you to play. You've got to create your own part in that time. Ah, uh, okay. So, so if I go in there with, as a bass player, I've, I know what the chords are going to be and the structure, but the how I play it and the passing notes and the, and the bass fills that I choose to do, you have to create that yourself, which has always been the most fun for me Yeah, was to have that challenge of creating something memorable fairly quickly and, and well, you know, it's, 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 it can be tricky, you know? I am so intrigued by the speed of how everything goes here because, you know, typically in, in my experiences in the rock world, you know, you go into the studio and you kind of, take a little bit of time and yeah. just create, you know, and vibe yeah. and, and do stuff. And then I get here and I've been, I've done some sessions here and seeing the way things work. It's so fast. All right. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, Hey, wait a second. <laughs> I haven't even so got my bearings yet. Yeah. But I think it's awesome because everything comes out so perfect very quickly. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause even we just, um, I think our, our 10th record with Aldine just came out. So we've made 10 records. How many years have you been with him? Since I met, I met him in 98 is when he moved here. So I've been with him ever since. Um, just, you know, that was, you know, Michael Knox had found him in Georgia. So I was already living here and Michael goes, well, I've got a bass player for you. So he comes up here, you know, I'm a kid from like, you know, Northeastern New York. He's a kid from Georgia and we meet each other. And I don't think we hit it off really. Like, it's funny because I don't think, I remember him looking at me and me looking at him and I'm like, I don't know if this is gonna work, you know? And <laughs> next next thing you know, like we were inseparable. We were, you know, some of the first songs we ever wrote were with Jason. We'd go to his apartment in Bellevue, Tennessee here and try to learn how to write songs and build a band. And so, it, yeah, it was, it was, it's a long, long time now looking back on it, you know? That's um, great. Yeah. What is yeah. the secret to the longevity of of something like that you know you 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 get into a situation and and essentially you're growing together not only as, yeah. as human beings but as musicians and as artists and also i mean you're working for an artist right really yes. so yeah. what do you think the secret to that success is loyalty 
because I think, I think through that long experience together, you go through peaks and valleys, you go, you you have arguments, you have, you have, you know, not fights, but you have deep disagreements sometimes. And you, we were young. Um, but we always knew, I think that, you know, to Michael Knox's credit, he, he always had this vision to build like a arena rock band with a country singer. So that was the start of that. Like Jason was this really country singer and I was this kid from New York and um, we stuck it out. I mean, that there were lots of starving years, lots of being hungry, um, lots of failed attempts, but we stuck together. I think we always knew I, we were always better together at that point. We had a better chance of doing it together than chasing things just randomly. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, loyalty for sure. Loyalty and, 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 you know, it's cliche, but the hard work, I mean, it's, you know, that as, as better than anybody, like, you know, hard work will, will, uh, get you where you need to be, you know? Right. Let's go back to, um, some of the, uh, similarities and, and differences of, um, the country music approach coming from a rock world like you know you're you're a fan of rock and then jumping into the nashville scene yeah. uh, what yeah. are some of the uh, similarities and differences well the differences i noticed immediately i hear these lines in my head and i it just they're melodic lines and i play them and i was doing that in 97 98 and remember guys like what are you doing that's too much you're not supposed to do that there that doesn't happen there and i said well that's just my that's what i do right um, and for a while <clears throat> i found myself trying to change to what i thought I, I needed to do what i thought people when i was younger i was like okay i should do this and change this and then i realized very quickly that what was working for me was being me and if someone didn't if that wasn't for them that was okay that, you, you know, I couldn't please everybody, but I definitely wasn't doing myself any service by not being me, by trying to be someone else, you know? And that's right. served me well. Like, like I'm very comfortable um, with what I do and, and, you know, people know what I do and if they want that and they know where to get it, you know? And if they don't, then I, there's a lot of, so many great players here. It's important. Absolutely. Yeah. I, tell, I tell all the young bass players that ask me this kind of question, I said, I always tell them, I'm like, the most important thing to do is have your fingerprint as a player. Leave your fingerprint on the track and, um, and you know, you'll, you'll get where you need to be. You know, you're not going to make everybody happy all the time. And, I, and I'll be the first to say, um, I'm not like a versatile type bass player. Like, like I do what I do and it doesn't vary very far from song to song. Like I, I'm going to approach it my way. I, I'm not, um, you know, some of these guys, you know, you, you, they can play a jazz gig and then they can go play a rock gig and they could, I'm, I've never been that guy. Like I kind of play how I play and, and do my thing. And, and I'm way comfortable with that at this point in my career, you know, just knowing what I am good at, and accepting what I'm not good at and kind of staying in my lane, you know? <laughs> so that. that's, that's what's that. for me, like consistently, you know, where I, I feel comfortable, where I feel comfortable, you know? Yeah. I mean, you've carved out a space for yourself 
that works. Yeah, yeah, it does. Like it's like it's not for everybody, and and I you know I still catch heat for it sometimes. If I'm, you know, even on some of Aldine's records, you know, Knox will be like, "Hey, that part's not working," and I'll be like, "It's working." Like, no, it's not. And I'll change it, you know. And and uh, but as yeah. Band, so so yeah. let's talk about that. So yeah. So having having um, creative differences with a producer or an artist, and and then also wanting to. Um, speak your mind and if you yeah. think something works how do you deal with those difficulties well with michael michael's a great producer michael's not a, a musician type producer michael's a feel and song guy he knows what feels good and if it feels good it is good and that's a great tool to have because that's that's the listener yeah. right yeah. He, michael's an incredible song guy and when we're in the studio he doesn't ever like I bet you I've, I've changed. I mean, there's been a handful of times he's asked me to change something over the years, you know? Um, and I always did for one, he's the producer. So you, he, that's the chain of command. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, but he lets us do our thing. Mm-hmm. And so when he says to me, Hey, I'm not sure about that one part because he, I barely change anything. He's, I, I listen to him. I'll, I'll do something different. You're probably right because you've got that. Those are those, that's your role. Those, you know, to drive this train and steer the ship, you know? So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's being in the studio with as a band and, and making these records is always, you know, sometimes you're gonna have to change something. Yeah. <laughs> it's not working, for sure. you know? For so. sure. How do you think Nashville's changed in the last even 10 years um the music scene music scene has well it's it it, boy it's changed so much i mean it from when i'm when i moved here um i don't even know where to start it's changed so much but uh you know being in the studio has changed a lot like um in the old days you know we did what we call demo sessions a lot which was songwriters come in and they have five songs they want to record to pitch the artist. Um, those don't happen as much anymore because everybody's kind of making tracks at home and everybody's making music and there's new ways to make music and technology's kind of changed how that's done. So the, the session scene is a little tighter, I'd say. Still a lot of records are being made, plenty of records, more records than ever probably. Um, but, you know, used to be able to do, you know, uh, eight sessions a week, nine sessions a week and demos, which is, that's probably changed. And we were also recording to tape then. So, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So that was the best tool for me. Like recording to tape, you know, you know, going for whole takes as a band on tape, you're playing like, you know, you, you've got to nail it. You've got to nail it. Um, and, and also just fixing a part isn't quite as easy. You, you can take it for granted now that, oh, as you're playing a track, uh, okay, I'm, as I'm playing, I'll be like, oh, crap, I need to go grab that when I come back. Whereas the old days, I was like, you know, in the 90s, I was like, damn, oh, no, you know, I just <laughs> crashed the whole take here, you know, because worse than that, like you didn't want to throw the drummer off or you didn't want to, everybody was affected by that. Right. Um even now you can punch drums, you do all this crazy stuff, you know, um, it's amazing. It's, uh, I'm glad though that we started on tape because it makes you, 
makes you really work, makes you really concentrate and not just walk away from what could be a mistake. Do you record with a full band all at once here in Nashville? We do. All Jason's albums are like that. Okay. So kind of live, essentially. Yeah, it's still live, still still full seven-piece band on the floor. Is there is there a lot of pre-production that's involved in stuff like that? Or are you just going? You're, you're already, you got the charts today, in front of you? I, I, no, I think today's, so with, I'll use Jason as an example. So what happens there is we, we walk in and we don't really know what we're going to do. It, it, there's not like, we don't have rehearsals before the, the, the sessions or anything. We, um, for those of you out there who want to learn about how Nashville is, like you, we walk in and you're given an, a piece of paper with the, what we talked about, the number system. And there's a song on it, a song title. And you're going to go in there and you're going to listen to the demo a couple of times down in the control room. And then you, you're, you know, then you're going out on the floor and you, and you've got, to make this album and it's um yeah it, it it's you're working it's like make you know <laughs> it's so it's so it seems so nerve-wracking because you're you're you can't hide at that point nerve-wracking is a, a, a great i think it used to be that way for me and and, and it, it still is you want to make a great album right but that's we, the goal we move really fast with Jason. There's a lot of songs that a lot of times we're keeping third takes. And part of Jason's thing with him specifically is the live feel, um, getting, not wearing it out, but there's a fine line between, okay, we, you know, first take for me personally, first take is getting through the chart and not okay. clamming everywhere. Right. <laughs> you know, second, <laughs> second take, Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the second take, the second take, I've got to be right. Cause Michael will, he'll keep second takes for me and Rich. Um, and like I said, fortunately today, I, you know, if, if Rich changes a, a kick pattern or something, I can go in and I can grab that verse if I've got to come to Rich. But, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, I'll say third takes mainly we keep for the rhythm section. Um, which is really, yeah, it, it can be kind of hairy, you know, if, if you're, you know, and you got to learn to let things go too. Like, you know, I'm, I really get married to like perfection. And if I feel like I've recorded something that isn't great, it's going to eat at me. And sometimes Michael will be like, no, you can't touch it. That's perfect. That's what I want. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to lose at least a month's sleep over this. Um, <laughs> because yeah. so, many, so many things are out of my control. The mix is out of my control. You know, um, can't, you know, control that, but I can control when I leave that chair and go to the next song that I'm at least in the ballpark of what makes me happy. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely makes sense. And I'll make my, if I see some, I'll get my pencil out and as I'm listening down, I'll circle a couple bars if I'm not loving that. And I'll say, Hey, give me those two bars. I'm not leaving till I get those two bars, you know? Yeah. Because, because recording with a seven piece band and it's hard to you got to police yourself that's one thing i tell players like like be accountable for yourself um make sure you like what you've what you've done you know um it does well for me like it's i drive i drive michael crazy uh (laughs) because you know i'll sit there and listen to a part 
three, four times and say, I don't know, is that feeling right? And, yeah. you know, but that's how I am. You know, it's yeah. that kind of keeps me, keeps I, me moving forward, you know? Yeah. Is it, uh, you, I know we spoke briefly on it um, about the recording and, but is it sort of rare to record and tour as a band in Nashville? Yeah. We were the first ones to really ever do it. Like, yeah, because it seems like you guys are like a band. Yeah, and and that again, Michael Knox. I remember when Jason finally got his deal, um, which was a, which was Broken Bow Records in '03, which is a indie label. You know, we had played all. We Michael had taken us in the studio as a band, and we started to play these songs, like some songs of Jason that ended up being songs we would record for the first record. Michael played it for the label, the demos that would be, and he was like. The label's like, yeah, I love this. Let's go do these songs. And Michael's like, well, I want to take his band in there, just like we did. He goes, they go, no, 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 we got to do, we got to call, you know, the old school session guys. That's what we do yeah. here. And Michael's like, no, if you like those demos, the reason you like those demos is probably, you know, it's different. So that's how, that's how some of that started. That's killer. That's yeah. great. It is. It was, and you're still happy after all these years. Oh yeah, I mean, and I, it's we're. It doesn't feel like it's been all these years. We've been together so long now, but every tour we, you know, we get fired up, and it's like we, you know, we love it as much as we ever did. You guys are playing some humongous shows. Yeah. I mean, I, I've known um, Rich for a while. Yeah, um, I, I haven't been able to see you guys play, although. I was in the same town once. You guys were playing the arena um, the day before we were. I think it was in maybe Minneapolis or something one yeah. time. Yeah. But just watching the sheer volume of people just ecstatic coming in and they're having the best time yeah. of their life, excited for that show. And, you know, all the girls had the, almost the same outfit on. Oh, it's no. a, uh, the country the uniform. uniform. Yes, <laughs> let's explain the uniform a little bit. What it, I, it, I think it was summertime, so it had to do the cutoff. Yeah, it's a cabin boots, cutoff shorts, some sort yeah. of t-shirt cross with maybe a short sleeve flannel draped over it, or exactly, exactly. Yeah, it may, I mean, I felt left out to be honest with you. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> these fans, they are loyal. Like these fans, I mean, that's the country music fan is loyal they will stay with you for years and it's years beautiful. and years and years it is it is a very um they're not yeah they're very they're gonna be there you know yeah. um they're gonna stick by you know I, if you look at the huge like the big acts we've had like, like george Strait, for example i mean george Strait. i mean they're still there they'll he'll yeah. play a show and it's eighty thousand people bang crazy like, like he was yeah like it was 30 years ago so crazy. what would you say um live has been like the moment in your heart where you were just like oh my goodness just filled with gratitude like i can't believe this is happening to me right now the moment where you're like oh we've we've made it was there a particular show or a record um well we've had a couple this is, I remember in 08, I think 
the third record had come out and it was doing songs like she's country was on there and like big songs that ended up being big remember we got we got called to do this crossroads it's a cmt crossroads uh-huh. they called it and it was where they take a country artist and they take an artist of your choosing that you feel like you're similar with and they throw you together in this melting pot well brian adams was doing it with us which was a huge moment that's like full circle right full circle and not only that but we were gonna he wanted us to back him up too so he was a man so we got to do like you know cuts like a knife and all these huge songs that i grew up listening to i remember thinking during those rehearsals when he walked in that wow i think maybe we might actually be around for a minute like if we're doing this kind of stuff now you know what i mean yeah um this is pretty cool and then it got bigger and bigger and we're doing you know, the next record was huge, my kind of party record, and we're doing stadiums. Um, I remember playing Fenway Park and headlining Fenway Park. Like, we've done it like four times. And we, every time we do that kind of stuff or Massive Square Garden or something, you, I still have those moments where it's like, you know, pinch me. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats on that. No. Let's uh, let's talk about bass. Let's talk about yeah. uh, what do you think goes into uh, – the right baseline for for what you do for what i do and i try to play for the song i mean it, it, we're in the business of songs you know and, and how would you describe that a, a melodic approach okay. and it's probably a little aggressive at times um um i love eighth notes I pound a lot of eighth notes um planet of the eighths that's what i like to call yeah it. <laughs> it's, i love that i love all that um i try to drive a song i try to you know a lot of times like i try to take what might be you know a slower mid-tempo and drive through it where it feels like it's moving um and i try how to you, how how do you what is your approach to achieving that keeping the movement i try to like i said i incorporate an eighth note feel especially when the, when the chorus comes, I, I don't want it to lay there. You yeah. know what I mean? In, to, in my own head, in my own world, that's how I'm, I'm approaching it. Even okay. though the song might be a slower song, uh-huh. I tend to feel like I need to push it along, make it feel a little aggressive. Cool. Even though we're in, we're in country music, it's got us this far, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's got, us. Uh, you know, I love aggressive. So yeah, well, I know. I mean, I, I love what, by the way, I love watching your videos. You know, I love, I love watching the stuff you post. Like when I was a kid, like I remember watching flea, like I can't do that, but damn, that's amazing. You know, um, I love that stuff you do. I, that's, Thank that you, is, uh, uh, is I, that means a lot. I appreciate you. It's all clean too. All the notes are clean. I got, I'll put my headphones on and like, listen to the Instagram stuff you post. I'm like, damn it. Where's that clean from? <laughs> How's that clean? Like I'd, it'd be like slobbing my way through that, you know? And no, it's, 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 it's a uh, kudos. Thank, thank yeah. you, man. I, I really appreciate that. Nice. Um, uh, as far as like, so we talked a little bit about the right baseline yeah. for, for what you do. What are some of your gear choices? What, what's your secret sauce? Uh, for me, uh, Sadowski basses. I've been with Roger Sadowski for since the nineties. Um, you know, I love, do you have a preference on the older ones or the newer ones? Are they all, uh, you know, 
I don't know. I mean, I have some newer ones that I love and have some older ones that I love. The older ones are a heavier, which I tend to like. Yeah. I like them heavier. Um, PJ fives is kind of what I always played like the, you know, J pickup by the bridge and the P pickup. Um, but I have a whole slew of, of, of those and, and I love my old Aguilar gear. I still record with the Aguilar 680, which they don't make anymore, but it's a great piece of studio gear. Is that the rack mountable thing? Rack mountable, two space okay. rack mountable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I lost a lot of my, a lot of that gear when the flood happened in Nashville. Oh, I remember um, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. I lost like piles of bases and all my old original Aguilar cabinets, the 412 oh, no. cabs and some 750s stamps. Um, and I've used the same bass strings for, ever um the dean markley you know they actually got a signature set now from them which is great it's just awesome i you know same set i've always used nickel plated set you know um i'm a creature of habit with with that stuff like if it's i like sadowski's because they felt like the old fenders i grew up playing i grew up playing you know it felt like the body shape everything felt right and then roger's preamp was just like a, a little, it's like Fender on steroids, you know, it was really hyped up, um, a little more gain. Um, but yeah, I'm just, you know, still playing that stuff, you know. For for recording as well? Yeah. Okay. I'll tend to record with the same basses I tour with. Cool. Um, I'll take them, his OCD thing comes back in, you know, I, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take him home with me then, you know, I'll put him on the bus, you know, my main two basses probably and, you know, I'll leave some backups out there, but the ones I record with, like I take them off, you know, take them on the road and, you know, you know how it is with bass too. Like, you know, this, like finding a killer bass that is even from top to bottom on every note. Like, you know, how you have some bases you like, but you probably, I'm sure you have the ones that you, you grab. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. But it's not like I can just, you know, I'm, I really kind of married to my, you know, same what's a good what's um what's your preference for di's oh so on the road live i will use um i've got a old aguilar db 900 mm -hmm. real simple di um and our front of house guy will he'll he'll take that then he'll take his side he'll run like an avalon which is a clean he'll blend them up really well and then and the 900 tends to get like nice and gritty Mm. And over German, so we'll blend those up. And, and yeah, your like, bass tone is pretty huge. It fills up a lot of space. Yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, so he does he, live. It's tricky. Um, it's another good good thing. Another good point. Like getting your bass to cut in like an arena. Yeah, which is always a learning process for me as far as like what I might want to hear in my ears in my in my monitors versus what it takes to cut through a, you know, big guitars and drums in an arena where it doesn't get muddy. Um, I With enjoy such that a big practice. band as well. It being yeah, able it, to, to cut through and, and make sure that you're still being heard and the things that you're playing is still being heard and not just felt. Yeah. Or just, you know, how the arena is like when immediately goes up to the rafters. Right. So getting it to sound big, but yet cut where you can hear the mid range and the high notes. Um, our front of house guy, Chris Stevens is really good at that. Like, you know, I'll get it. It's a give and take. 
I may more have more top end in my ear than I, than I might want, but he needs that, right? You know, and and and, and he may make up for some of the top end that I don't have or want. He'll make up for it out there, and it's this nice marriage. But we spend a lot of time every tour, like trying to make it better than the last tour. Um, That's important. It is that quality control and, and caring. Complacency care. is no good. It's no good. Yeah. It's no good. It's it doesn't. You know, you, you know that. Like you, you always want to make it better. You can always be better. You can always it can always be better somehow. You know. That's so inspiring to hear. You know, people on on the level of which you guys are working, still striving to um, make it better. And I think that really is uh, uh, helping your success as well. Yeah, and it's and I, and I try to be consistent out there for him too. Like, and I'm not going to bring out three or four different bases. I want to try just for the heck of it. <laughs> I mess up his game structure. I might mess up. Right. You know, it's like, you know, I play this thing. I, I do. I the whole show. You mean, I, you're not going to bust out the 18 string fretless. On <laughs> yeah, on a, <laughs> not tell him. You know, on a whim. You know. By the way, I'm going to play this one tonight. So. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'll do the whole show. Don't I'm worry. Not. I have a pig nose amp for it. It's awesome. Oh, You're going to love the tone out front. Huge. Sounds yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, but I do the whole show on about four bases. And if I record, uh, look, if I use a bass on the record on a track, I'll bring it out and we'll do it live. You know, like, like I'll, I'll make sure I have all the things I did available for the live show. Cool. You know, so and we just work we work that way like that's it's comfortable for me and then he you know spend a lot of time on it every year yeah that's awesome man yeah well any uh last words of advice for bass players out there and and how about how about nashville networking nashville networking or networking generally in in our business you know how important I, is it it is well okay when i moved here Obviously, you know, I, I don't do as much as that as I, as I, when I was a kid, when I moved here, but I, I played everywhere. I, I, um, I never turned a gig down. I, um, was always in, I think, you know, this and uh, be easy to work with. That's like half, that's like half the battle. Be a nice guy, which is, should be hopefully easy to do, uh, <laughs> in life generally life in general you yes. know the approach you know not just when you're playing on a gig but um you that know, guy's a good bass player but he's a dick yeah right <laughs> well, if you, especially if you want to if you want to go out on the road and you know this like if you're going to yeah. live with people and i've been real fortunate real fortunate to to be with rich and kurt and and jason for my entire career um we've done a million gigs me and even separately in the, in the old days of me and rich and, and kurt like you just work hard, have good tone. I mean, just get out there and do it. Meet people, you know, be the guy that people want in the band or try to, you know. Um, yes, yeah, so some of that stuff, like, you know, I know a lot of great, great players who maybe they don't have the success they want and it probably isn't due to their playing. Right. You know, sometimes when you, especially when you're talking about road gigs, um, no one wants to live with someone they don't like on, on a bus for four months, five months. Right. You don't want to be that guy. You know? 
truth. I, I, and, I, and I feel like those situations tend to work themselves out, you know, quicker than not. But I mean, um, yeah, you, you know, you, you know, it's like, just be the guy that people want to be around and come prepared. Ah. Yeah. That's one thing to this day, like when we were, you know, there's a one point where me and Rich and Kurt were doing a lot of gigs in town playing for new artists. And I never brought like a chart or music stand out there. I'd stay up all night long. I've never put a chart in front of me with an artist. And I've done a lot of one-off gigs back in the day where I had two, you know, a day and a half to learn 30 songs. I stayed up all, all through. I, I did not ever bring a chart out there. I mean, That's crazy. I, I just refused to do it. Like I just always felt like the artists deserve that. Absolutely. I agree if, with that. If they deserve my full attention, uh-huh. you know, and I, and I can, you know, um, I, I, I always feel good about that. Like I never, I always put the work in, you know, awesome. really good. yeah. So do that. And I think you're off to a good start. Right on, man. Well, it's definitely, uh, Great advice and inspiring. I appreciate you doing this, man. It's been a uh, long time coming. Do your first class, man. I, I love what you do, and it's Thank uh, you, brother. carrying the bass flag. Let me let me say that real quick. Not to just not to just because uh, you're I'm talking to you, but like these young kids today need need guys like you that are out there, like on social media, blowing it up like with what you do and and it's just i love watching it like i i I love watching what you're doing so it's way way to go like like you're just you're killing it man it's it's awesome to see and thank you um, so much brother i appreciate you man and i'm gonna hang out with you soon thank you thank you all for listening into the base freaks podcast stay healthy spread love spread joy and kindness good vibes and inspiration and remember you got this follow your path whatever it may be and just play and a huge thank you to dunlop for making this show possible make sure you check out bass freaks wherever you get your podcast cheers cheers